Good morning, friends. It is a joy for my wife and I to be here, and our little daughter, I'm sure if she could speak, she would say the same. Uh, we look around and see a lot of familiar faces from our time at uh, GFC Rex still, and I'm just reminded that in heaven, we'll see many more brothers and sisters all united, not by being from a common local church, but being one in the global body of Christ. So I am looking forward uh, to that day when we are all with our Lord and Savior once and for all, for all eternity. Until then, it's been a joy to worship with you guys. Uh, we will be uh, turning to God's Word in Genesis. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open up to the first chapter of Genesis. We will read from Genesis 1, verse 26, to Genesis 2, uh, verse 3. So as you turn there now, um, I will uh, pray for our time once again. Heavenly Father, we come to humble ourselves before your word. No one wants to hear from me. Uh, we all need to hear from you. So, Father, we pray in this moment you would be gracious to us and speak to every heart here. You know exactly what we need to hear. And so we pray that you would speak peace and life for the good of your people and the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, Genesis 1 from verse 26. Uh, this is what Holy Scripture says. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What to expect is a leading brand in pregnancy and parenting that, among other things, they provide new and expecting parents a wealth of information to access. Now, according to what to expect, here are some, some signs of an overtired baby. 
They say, babies who don't sleep enough or who stay awake for longer than they can handle end up having a stress response, an increase in adrenaline and cortisol making it trickier for them to wind down for bed. Sometimes it's obvious your baby is overtired and other times the signs are subtle. Here's what to look for in your little one. She has a hard time settling down for sleep. She only takes brief cat naps instead of full-blown naps. She doesn't get a lot of sleep at night. She's very cranky or fussy. She's less able to handle frustration or pain. She's more prone to meltdowns in an older baby. Or she falls asleep at random times during the day in the high chair when she's eating, for instance, or as soon as she hits the stroller, even if it's not nap time. Now, those of you who are parents, you've probably seen this in your own kids, right? But I wonder how many of us, as we heard that list, can identify with it ourselves. Let's think about it. Hard time settling down to sleep or don't get enough sleep at night? Check. Cranky or fussy? <laughs> Check. Less able to handle frustration or pain? Check. Prone to meltdowns, if we're honest? Check. Falling asleep at random times? Maybe it's just me, but check. They said babies who don't sleep enough and who stay awake for longer than they can handle end up having a stress response. If that's the case, then in some ways, grown-ups are kind of like big babies, aren't they? Tired is old news. We are downright exhausted. We live in a society plagued by restlessness. See, we want to do more, dream more, and be more, but we fail to truly recognize what it's costing us. But God does. He's always known. The word for you this morning is that rest is a gift from God, and you ignore it at your own risk. Our three points for today are that God knows you need rest, you know you need rest, so come and rest. Now, at the start of this, let me just say that this sermon is deeply personal to me, because I am with you all in this struggle. I'm preaching to myself first and foremost, so when I say you, please recognize that I'm speaking to my own soul. But I also want you to preach to yourselves this morning, so there will be times when I will encourage you to repeat a statement with me out loud. Now, please don't leave me hanging when I do this, because it's going to be pretty awkward as a guest preacher if I don't get any response from you. So let's try it. Here's the first one. Repeat after me. Oh, my soul, God knows you need rest. Thank you all for responding. <laughs> the opening chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis are like our origin story. They are the blueprint for our world, and in them we see what God's good creation was meant to be, and also what went wrong. Through these chapters we are able to make sense of the longings that we have and why these longings are meant to drive us back to God. And like the rest of our longings, our longing for rest is no surprise to God. After all, he's the one who made us, 
And so knowing you need rest, he created it. God's act in Genesis 1, as he created things, that was his work. That's what the Bible calls it, God's work. This was the very first nine to five, as it were. So in six days, he formed life as we know it. And then we read this in Genesis 2. We read, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God rested? God's all powerful and he never grows weak and tired. So why did he rest? What's that about? See, we know God could have made creation however way he liked. He didn't have to make the world in six days, and he sure didn't need to rest on the seventh. And yet, the Bible tells us that that's exactly what he chose to do. He created the world in six days and looked at all that he had made and declared that it was very good. So with a job well done, that's the only way God works, by the way, all that was left for him was to rest and enjoy what he had made. But why did he rest? See, what becomes clear as we read the Bible is that one of the reasons God chose to do things this way is to set the pattern for those made in his image for us to follow. So after six days of working, he stopped on the seventh. This wasn't a coincidence. We read in Genesis 2 that God made the seventh day of the creation account, that day that God took a day off, as it were, was a different day from the others. He made it different. We are told in Genesis 2-3 that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work which he had done in creation. He blessed God had pronounced his blessing on the living creatures he made in Genesis 1, but here we have God blessing the very day itself. But more than blessing it, he made it holy. You might gloss over that word because you're used to reading it in the Bible, but do you realize that this is the first ever mention of holiness in the Bible? And it's given to a day. See, to be holy is to be set apart, to be marked for special use, and that use directed to God. Here God blesses a day and sets it apart. Why? We are told that God made it special because on it he rested. So from the very beginning then, a day is set apart by God as special and blessed as a day of rest. So as Adam and Eve followed after God's pattern of work, they would have also followed after God's pattern of rest. In creation, God decreed a moment in time for rest from labor. He surely didn't need it, but he knew that we did. But the Bible teaches us that not only did God create rest by decreeing the seventh day, he also commanded it. Now, when a lot of us think about rest and the seventh day, our minds likely go to the Ten Commandments, if you've been in church for a while. 
See, when God chose the people of Israel to be his people, they entered into what's called a covenant, an agreement between parties that creates a permanent relationship that's meant to be marked out by faithfulness, obedience, and loyal love. So as God's people then, they were given laws to follow, and the Ten Commandments are like a bird's eye view of the laws the people were given. The fourth commandment, which also happens to be the most detailed commandment, talks about what is called the Sabbath day, a day God's covenant people were not allowed to work and were to keep holy. In Exodus 20, verse 11, we read the reason why. It says, For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The people were supposed to work, but that work was meant to be restrained by the Sabbath day, a day of rest modeled after the pattern of God's own work and rest. God didn't simply say to his people, you know, it'd be nice if you rested. He commanded it. Look at what he says again, this time in Exodus 31, in verses 14 to 15, he says, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Now listen to this. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from, the, from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Rest or die, God says. He knew rest was so important that he not only decreed it in creation, but he then legalized it in his laws to his people. The penalty of not resting was death. Now, I admit, this might sound extreme to us who can hardly put our phones down, but we need to realize that what was in view here was more than simply not working. The Sabbath law introduced a moral aspect to how we use our time. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, The Ten Commandments, helps summarize the thought this way. He says, these were the twin engines of the Sabbath, worship and rest. The two were inextricably linked in the Old Testament. We rest so that we might be free to worship God, and we give God worship in part by trusting him enough to rest. Worship and rest are the appropriate responses to the portion of time that God had set apart. The punishment was severe, true, but God was given his people who had just been freed from slavery under forced labor and false worship, the gift of rest and communion with himself. Now, I know there are many views on what the Sabbath day means today, particularly for Christians, but I think for now we can see that God has a time of dedicated rest and worship in mind for his people. He created a time for it in the beginning and even commanded it for the Israelites in the form of the Sabbath day. Friend, God knows you need rest. 
even if you try to deny it. No matter how much you fight it like a baby who doesn't want to take a nap, <laughs> the truth is that you know you need rest. So repeat after me, oh my soul, you know you need rest. Do I even need to convince you of this point? A culture critic once wrote that our relationship with work is so out of whack that we can't help admiring workaholics. We see them as the pinnacle of success and role models to follow, entranced by their accolades and achievements. Now, to be sure, hard work and ambition are not bad things. And there are seasons in life where the calling God has put on our lives will demand more from us than usual. However, we are not meant to abuse work by making it our idol or seeking our worth from what we do. We are to work hard at what we do without being defined by it. And part of that requires us knowing when to stop. Take a breath. <laughs> Justin Early writes in his book, The Common Rule, he says, there are few deeper satisfactions than throwing yourself headlong into good work. In fact, the paradox of good work seems to be this. Anything worth doing requires bending your life towards it. However, nothing is worth bending your life until it breaks. This is true regardless of what you do. Listen, if you don't take a break, you will break. If you don't take a break, you will break. I found this true all the more even in ministry. We hear a lot of ministry burnout of godly people who give and give and give and give and give until they have nothing left to give. But Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, Crazy Busy, he says, busyness, it doesn't mean you are faithful or a fruitful Christian. It just means you're busy just like everyone else. And like everyone else, your joy, your heart, and your soul are in danger. Friend, you know you need rest. You need rest for your body. See, we like to think we're like Bruce Willis in that movie Unbreakable, that you know nothing phases him. But really, we're more like the other guy, Mr. Glass, who gets hospitalized at every smallest nudge. The Bible is full of reminders that we are not as strong as we might think. For example, the psalmist says in Psalm 103 that he, God, knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. Dust, grass, flower, these are the types of metaphors that the Bible uses to describe our lives. We are fragile, aren't we? If you keep piling up more and more on yourself, more weight on your body, you will one day learn the meaning of that expression, the last straw that broke the camel's back. 
Let's think of it this way. Do you know the story of Pinocchio? Some of you might know Pinocchio. It's a children's story about a wooden puppet named Pinocchio,、uh, who one day dreams of becoming a real boy. This puppet's existential crisis is a good illustration for our society today, isn't it? See, we live out the story of Pinocchio, but in reverse. He wants to be a real boy. We want to shed our humanity. The sci-fi movie list on Netflix or Crave TV or at your local library are full of stories that explore this idea. See, our bodies remind us of our limitations. So when we grow weak and tired and feel the natural longing for rest, rather than simply fulfilling our God-given need, we dream of the day we will be free from its shackles. Sleep. That's an interruption, and rest is like a bad word that gets in the way of more productivity. Friends, the authors of Gospel at Work have a word for you. I like quoting people who are smarter than me because they say it better anyway. They write, "Here's the thing: God knows your limits. He designed them." You can trust him when he says you need to rest. You may bear enormous responsibility in your work, but you need to recognize that it is actually God who prospers your work, or chooses not to prosper it. God can grant success in surprising ways when we demonstrate our faith in Him, even by not working. If God wanted to make us solar-powered men and women of steel that need no rest, He would. But He didn't. He made us as weak and frail human beings, formed from the dust of the ground, and breathed life into us. And when we sacrifice rest unduly for the sake of more work, we show that we misunderstand what work is meant to be. See, we think our busyness is evidence of our importance. That the world depends on us, but the truth is, the world isn't the dependent one. We are. The author in Ecclesiastes writes, "A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever." Friend, the world will keep on spinning even after you're gone. God's idea—he's a lot smarter than us. Was for us to have six days of work balanced by one day of rest, but when we tip the scale by borrowing time from the day of rest to do more work, we must remember that it is time we must pay back. And like loans nowadays with crazy interest rates that keep rising, the longer we take to pay it back, the more it will cost us, and that could be in the form of stress. Or anxiety, or fatigue, or oversleeping, or sickness, or injury. But sooner or later, we all must pay up. So, do you take care to have rest in your weekly cycle, or are you working on borrowed time, putting off the rest your body needs until you are forced to rest? You only take a break when something's broken. Remember, if you don't take a break, you will break. 
Nature tells you rest or die. But it's not just our bodies that need rest. You, you also need rest for your soul. See, our bodies are driven by what our hearts and souls long for. So what we experience externally is driven and first felt by what we feel internally. So if I was to ask you what drives you to work until exhaustion, or what keeps you from giving the rest, the body your rest, the rest your body needs, what would your answer be? To provide for your family? To progress in your career? To uphold your reputation? To maintain a particular lifestyle or because you just don't know any other way to live? Rooting out the deep motives for why we do what we do is important because even if you try to get some sleep, a rested body will still be weighed down by a restless heart. See, when we try to please others or find our identity in work or whatever else it might be, we will wear ourselves out and yet always be craving more because our longing will never be satisfied. Now, I believe the deepest longing that drives us, whether we want to admit it or not, is our longing for God. We were made in his image, and therefore we were made for relationship with him. And St. Augustine gets this right with his famous quote that you might have heard like a thousand times by now. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. This is why God's Sabbath, Sabbath day command was more than the absence of work. It was rest and worship. Medicine for your body and life for your soul. But our longings have been affected by sin, haven't they? When Adam and Eve, the first human beings, disobeyed God, God's judgment brought a curse. In Genesis 3.19 we read, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Yes, the mortal state of our bodies was highlighted here, but more than the physical hardship and the breaking down of our bodies, sin also brought a separation from God. And so we read in Genesis 3.24 that God drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. See, man was separated from God, and the way back was out of reach. Before, rest was something enjoyed as a gift in paradise, but it became something necessary and yet hard to obtain in a broken world, with the now shut Garden of Eden as a visual reminder. By the time we get to Genesis 5, humanity was feeling this deep longing for rest so much so that one of Adam's descendants named Lamech, he voices out his longing in the naming of his son. We read in Genesis 5.28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that Yahweh has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. 
Work is hard on the body. And the rest our souls need in communion with God and create with our God and Creator has been broken. And this is especially relevant for you if you are not a Christian. If you have recognized that your body needs rest, and yet you have disregarded the rest your soul needs, then know that you've been going on on borrowed time, and at some point we all have to pay. When you live your life with no regard for your Creator, your sin and disobedience are like compounding interest. You can't pay back what you owe yourself, and the rest you long for remains out of reach. And on the day of judgment, if your, rest, if your soul has not found the rest it needs in God, it won't be allowed to enter into its final rest then. All that remains is a restless torment away from God. My friend, there's good news. Remember, rest is a gift from God and you ignore it at your own risk. This gift is being offered to you this morning, so repeat after me, O oh my soul, come and rest. Thank you for still going on with me. I appreciate it. See, even from the Old Testament, it was clear that the rest God was calling his people to was something deeply profound. Lamech's son Noah couldn't bring the rest they were longing for. And after him, for the nation of Israel, the promised land was like a visual representation of the rest God had promised them. Just like the Garden of Eden was a visual representation of the rest that Adam and Eve had lost. Some failed to enter the promised land because of their disobedience, but even for those who did enter the land, physical rest was never meant to be the ultimate point. The writer of the book of Hebrews makes it clear that Joshua, the one who led the people into their physical rest in the promised land, could not lead them into the true rest God had promised. And so he writes in Hebrews 4 that if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. See, that Joshua was unable to bring them into God's true rest. But there is a better Joshua whose name in English came to be known as Jesus, who leads all those who put their faith in him into the true rest of God. Back in Genesis 2, God spoke his decree about the seventh day and then commanded it to his people, the Israelites. He could do this because he stood as Lord over the Sabbath that he had created. And then enter Jesus in Mark 2, he says, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath, putting himself in the place where only God can stand. He's able to lead us into the true rest of God because he himself is both God and man. So what does that mean for you? Well, this same Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, gives you this invitation today. You heard that earlier in the scripture reading. He says, come to me. 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He can offer you this rest because he paid the price for your sin and disobedience on the cross. For all the times you lived for yourself or made your work an idol or sought your refuge and rest in anything other than God, his death and resurrection secures access to the true rest of God that your soul longs for. You don't have to work for this rest. And you could never earn it. But it is a gift from God for you through Jesus for all those who put their trust in him. Friend, repent of your sins. Turn to God. Only in him will you find your rest. And There is a day coming when he is coming back. On that day, he will lead all those who trust him into their true and final rest. But for those who don't trust him, it only gets worse from him. So then, Mr. Preacher, you might say, I just have to believe in Jesus and wait for his return and then I'll enjoy the rest I need, but I'm tired now. Uh, what about my rest now? That's a good question. What can we learn about how we find rest in the here and now, even as we wait for the true and final rest with him? Well, I'll try and give us some principles that I hope you will find helpful. There's going to be a lot for you guys to repeat because I want us all to know this. In fact, I'm going to carry along with you because I need to hear this myself. First, repeat after me. Oh, my soul, it's okay to rest. Oh, my soul, it's okay to rest. It's okay. You need to free yourself from the lie that you can't rest. If you're like me, you almost feel guilty for resting. Don't buy it, friend. If you've labored faithfully, then you can faithfully rest. See, if God himself rested, and he has a way more important job than you do, then you can rest. If Jesus himself slept to regain his strength, then sleep must not be evil. There are seasons where rest will look different, it's true, but overall, we must remind ourselves that it is okay to rest. But that doesn't mean that it's always easy to do it. Another author writes, he says, we all know we need to rest from work, but we don't realize how we have to work hard just to rest. We have to plan for breaks. We have to schedule time to be unscheduled. That's the way life is for most of us. Scattered, frantic, boundaryless busyness comes naturally. The rhythms of work and rest require planning. So how can you proactively make sure you carve out time to rest? 
Is it actually scheduling in your breaks? Or setting boundaries with your co-workers and devices? Or having people hold you accountable? This is something you need to prayerfully think through. But ideally, we need regular rhythms of daily, weekly, and yearly breaks from work for refreshment. And I don't mean spending that time doing chores, unless you actually find chores restful. If you do, then we would like to have you over. We've got lots of rest for you. No, this is spending your time doing something, not because of its usefulness, but simply because you enjoy it. Okay, here's another one. Repeat after me. Oh my soul, know your limits. Oh my soul, know your limits. See, we can cultivate rest in our lives when we learn to know our limits. Don't stretch yourself until you break. Unrealistic expectations from other people or even from yourself will drive you beyond what you can actually handle. And unlike God, you will grow faint and weary. You're not God. Know your limit. Another example of this is learning to live within your means. See, when we try to live above what we can realistically afford, whether it's that beautiful home with the high mortgage or that obsession with the latest gadgets that runs up your credit card, then we're stuck overworking ourselves trying to pay for an unnecessary lifestyle. But more than that, see, the Bible encourages us to actually live below our means. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands, listen, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Live below your means. That's a radical thought that not only frees us from bearing more financial burden than we can handle, but it enables us to help others. Okay, here's another one. Repeat after me, oh my soul, trust God. Oh my soul, trust God. See, when God commanded the Israelites to rest on the seventh day and not to work, it required them to trust that even though they were not working, God would provide for them. It was a test of trust. Similarly, when we choose to rest after faithfully working, we remind ourselves that ultimately we are not the ones who sustain ourselves, it's God. So will you frantically work because you think the burden of the whole world rests on your shoulders? Or will you, in humility, lay your burden down and rest, choosing to trust God rather than your own efforts? This is a question we all have to wrestle with. Now here's the last one for us. Repeat after me. Oh my soul, worship God. Oh my soul, worship God. If worshipful rest was in view when God blessed the seventh day and set it apart, then we cannot consider rest apart from worship. 
Indeed, that was in view of the Israelites with the Sabbath day laws and the view of Christians who hold to a strict idea of what is called the Lord's Day. Now, I'm not here to tell you what you can and can't do on Sundays, but I do believe that Jesus has done what Jesus has done has freed us from that kind of thinking. But I can urge you to make worship, particularly corporate worship, a part of your regular rhythm of rest. Remember, you might schedule rest for your body, but you also need rest for your soul. A rest that no vacation or spa day can give you. Only God can give you the rest that is so deep. Time in his word, time in prayer, time reflecting on what he has done. These are ways you can abide in him and thereby find rest for your soul. So, are the signs that you are overtired obvious to see? Or are they underneath the surface just waiting for a chance to explode? My weary friends, the truth of the matter is that God knows you need rest. You know you need rest. And rest is a gift from God that you ignore at your own risk. You have fussed and fought your weariness long enough. Won't you come and rest? Please pray with me. Oh God, you are so good. Like a loving parent with a fussy child, you know what we need even when we deny it. And in your kindness, Knowing our frame, remembering we are dust, you call us to rest and trust you. Would you forgive us for the ways in our pride we think we have to do it all ourselves? We think the world cannot keep going without us. Forgive us for our pride. We pray you would help us to trust you. You would help us to know that only you can grant the rest that we need. And Father, we particularly pray for those who don't know you today. Would you be merciful to them? Would you open their eyes to see that the, the rest and the peace and the hope that they have been longing for is only found in Jesus? Would you help them to turn from their sins and to cling to him? Would you be pleased to do all of these things for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen.